From the wells of night to the gulfs of space, ever the praises of great Cthulhu and Sathagoa and of him who is not named. Ever praises of abundance to the black goat of the woods, Shub Nigarath, the goat with a thousand young. For thou hast seen the dark universe yawning, the lost place where black planets roll without aim. And also the place where a lot of filmmakers who adapt the works of H.P. Lovecraft seem to dwell. Allow the cast of Cthulhu to be your guide to the world of cinematic H.P. Lovecraft adaptations from the superb to the truly cosmically horrific. I'm Jim Rohner. And I'm James McCormick. And today we'll be reviewing 1991's Emmy-winning Cast a Deadly Spell, written by Joseph Doherty and directed by Martin Campbell. Um, but we're not doing this alone. Joining us to discuss is co-host of the Mixture Reviews podcast, Gavin Mevius. Gavin, hooray! Thanks for joining hooray. us on Cast a Cthulhu. Woo! I'm, I'm coming to you from the midst of the Black Veil. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> no. no anyone anyone is it is it too is it too much it, i can turn the black veil off I just turn it maybe, it maybe maybe a gray a opaque gray okay, veil great. would be better yeah <laughs> thank you thank you very much um also i should preface that outstanding that emmy win was uh for outstanding achievement in music and lyrics so uh don't get too uh impressed but yes um but yeah cast That's a deadly spell funny. Gavin Mavius, The Mixed Reviews. Gavin was uh, used to be a regular on I Do Movies Badly, but this is the first time he's joining us on the cast of Cthulhu. So before we get into anything, we want to do some catch-up with Gavin, because Gavin, it's been a while. How have you been holding up? I know the pandemic is a year old at this point, but how have you been holding yeah. up? Uh, I mean, it, as it always, it's always hard to answer that question. Yeah. As good as can be expected, I've, I've gotten to know the five rooms of my apartment very well. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> So there's no mysteries there anymore. Uh, my hair is the longest it has ever been because I basically only go out to the grocery store. <laughs> and yeah, it's been sad and and uh, but good, I guess. And all things in perspective, good. You know, I haven't been sick. Yeah, I I know very few people who have, and I know you know. I don't know. It's yeah. Good. I'm tentatively good. <laughs> Say that. Well, that's good. That is good to hear. And um, the Mixed Reviews, a delightful podcast. But if you're listening to this and you're like, I don't know who Gavin is, I don't know who the Mixed Review is, uh, or or what the Mixed Reviews is, I should say. Why don't you illuminate some people on what the Mixed Reviews is? So the Mixed Reviews is a film podcast where we essentially, me and my co-host Louis, we take a subject, and every two weeks we take that subject and usually we either do an actor or a director or a mini genre and we dissect it down to its you know important points in history and we talk about what's great about it and maybe what's not so great about it uh louis always likes to say the reviews they are mixed <laughs> and <laughs> it, and it's a lot of fun because what is what is essentially done is you know i i work in post-production as my professional field but i am an academic at heart uh gross and <laughs> boo so, so it gives me like essentially uh, you know a, a way for me to learn something every two weeks and constantly you know keep sharp on all of these things that i learned in film school that you really learn by watching and obviously there's a practical element because i do once again work in post but the you know being able to find out these histories and really dig deeper into how Hollywood has worked over the past hundred years. And, you know, you also learn something very personal about a lot of these people's lives. And I think that's what most people tend to forget that films are made by people. They star people. No one is perfect. And you get these sort of interesting looks at their career paths. It's not necessarily any sort of our tour theory. 
but it is, you know, gives you an idea of the way people choose projects. And then if you're doing a genre dissection, it's more about, you know, how these things have progressed over time and what, what, you know, where they started. We, we've been tentatively back, uh, back, been tentatively, wow, I can't speak. We've been tentatively battling back and forth for a road trip genre dissection hmm. and i think that's really interesting because you can go back to you know some silent films that are road trips all the way hmm. through you know 90s 2000 comedies such as road trip and <laughs> I, I don't know i i think it's kind of interesting to put an, an analytic microscope on on certain things in the film industry that does sound uh very fascinating i've i've listened to the mix reviews for a while um and it's it's interesting because hearing you two talk about it, and especially revisiting things you've seen before or stumbling upon things for the first time. I shouldn't say stumbling upon, but visiting things for the first time. Then every now and again, I'd be like, oh, that's interesting. I should re-watch some of that, some of that stuff or I should look at that stuff for the, for, for the first time myself. And, and relevant to February and Black History Month, I remember listening to your episode on Spike Lee and just being like, this guy's got such a prolific catalog and some of it's just like, no, I don't think I need to see that. I don't think I need to see that. And hearing you two talk about like, oh, maybe... Uh, Maybe I should rewatch that movie or or maybe this one isn't as great as I remember it being. Yeah, I've always had I've always lived up. I've tried to live up to the ideal that a film critic's job is never to tell you whether you should watch something or whether you should not watch something. Mm -hmm. it's, it's a bit deeper than that, but that's that's exactly like a good point because I, I think there's merit to be found even in the things that are quote-unquote critical bombs. Mm -hmm. you know, And especially, like, speaking of Spike Lee, going back and being able to watch something like Girl 6, which I still don't think is a 100% success, but I think there's a lot of stuff, interesting stuff in there that's worth seeing, but unfortunately most people don't you know, when you think of Spike Lee, you just think of like, do the right thing. And and admittedly, I'm not immune to that. I picked that as my five star review, <laughs> but it's his best film. But but it is cool to be able to go back and, and look at some of these things that you may have seen earlier or maybe not seen at all and sort of passed up and, and realizing like, oh, there's there's merit. And you can kind of see the the arc of the way things people have changed and thought processes have changed over the years. Well, of course, when I think of Spike Lee, I think of his old boy remake. As, yes, as, oh. as, as I well, assume most people do. Oh, definitely. Or she hate me. Yes, <laughs> famously both of our one star reviews from that <laughs> yes, episode. Good. Okay, thank God. <laughs> old boy and she hate me. So there you go. Oh man, um, Ooh, that old boy remake. Oof, oof. I just don't. I, I don't even doing that episode, doing the research on it, trying to figure it out, and I just don't know where anybody was at. When they were, <laughs> when they're trying to do it. I mean, Don't for get... for what it's worth, and he, here's a hot take coming from from me. Um, I never even got through the original Old Boy. I turned it off. I think after like 45 minutes. So, so you should really check out that remake. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, yes. I, sh I should. Um, and and well, and this was this was over 10 years ago. And I now a a movie is not spoiled by its twist or reveal, but I knew what it was going into it, so it was hard to. Um, kind of work up the energy to kind of like I know where all this is going and so, but I was not looking at the movie itself as a whole and for it, it you know, as a piece. But uh, and I blame um, Gavin and James. Do you remember uh, years ago on Bravo they used to do a mini series around Halloween called like the scariest movie moments. Yes. And yep, the yep. initial one was like the hundred scariest movie moments, and then it was so successful they did another one after that and. Mm -hmm. One of those in the in the the revisiting was the reveal in Old Boy, so I was like, oh, okay, so that's that's that. I what a strange, right? <laughs> what an odd like like 
That's a weird one. That scariest moments. Right. It's his daughter. Right. Yeah, it's like, uh, oh, terrifying. Like, yeah. Well, well the, it's bad. It's, yeah, it's bad. It's not great. It's not. It's it's it's, it's grossed and quite. It's gross and quite a twist. But yes. Mm-hmm. Well, I wouldn't and, say I was like, oh my god, shaking the, the person next to me in the theater, spilling popcorn, running out. <laughs> oh my god, like running out, and you're just suspecting everyone of being your daughter from yeah. then on. Like, well, and the criteria was weird to begin with because for the most part, it was like moments, like they had the the weird old man reveal in the sentinel you know just popping out from behind the door and that kind of but then they had the number one scariest movie moment was jaws and it's like that's the entirety of jaws (laughs) yeah just all of jaws (laughs) the entirety of jaws that scar scene it's pretty scary (laughs) politics in that movie is very scary (laughs) that's actually the truest thing in the movie I would I would love if somebody was just like, yeah, it's that mayor, man. <laughs> Terrifying. <laughs> no. AFI's um number one uh scariest movie villain, the mayor in Jaws. Um yeah. topping Darth Vader. Bureaucracy. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Jeez. Um but yeah, well so and I guess what what is the what's the most recent mixed reviews episode? So if people wanted to, to check you out, what what are your what's coming up? So uh, we actually just finished, it just came out this week, an uh, episode that ended up being a tribute to Cicely Tyson. Unfortunately, we do we start our episodes way in advance because we want to give ourselves as much time as we possibly need to to watch as many things and read as many things. And she had an autobiography coming out at the end of January. And two days after that autobiography came out, uh, I mean, obviously, if you're listening to this, you know this, she passed. Uh, so what ended up being uh, a living tribute became a... a a tribute to her after her death. And I think it's a really lovely episode and, and really fascinating because she really does, you know, we've done episodes on Holly Berry and we've done episodes on Regina King and Viola Davis. And she really did pave a way for all of these black women performers mm-hmm. and, and deserves her place and honor of everything that she did and everything that she fought for. Uh, post that we have an episode coming out uh, sometime next week about Audrey Hepburn hmm. And we're going to be doing an episode after that about Ang Lee. So, ooh, interesting. I'll have to listen yeah. to that one because he—he's a guy that I've—I've I've only just kind of like scraped the surface with him. Um, he's a really interesting director. I mean, obviously, like I'm knee deep in Audrey Hepburn memorabilia and, and interviews and things right now, so <laughs> I will get to him. But, but yeah, I, I need to do some more research on him. But yeah, he's really fascinating, and I've seen so many of his films but i definitely am looking forward to revisiting um mostly just the hulk yes <laughs> my first my first exposure to to ang lee um and my like... dogs my dogs <laughs> <laughs> the nick nolte see what what's great is you, you have to talk about that's where the picture of nick nolte oh, came yeah, from absolutely i i don't once again and maybe i'm so maybe my memories are so soft on some things i don't hate that movie i, I don't, don't either I don't either. Okay. It, it's it, it's it's very lofty. Like yes, where he wanted yeah. to make it a, a true comic book movie, yeah, but then they kind of just... said, "Don't do that." And he's like, "But I want to do it." And they said, "Eh, we'll give you a little bit." <laughs> he was taking a big swing, and I, I always yeah. appreciate a big swing. And I still think the Hulk in that looks better than the Hulk in the Louis Leterrier Incredible Hulk. But that's since they've they've come. Mm-hmm. But same company. That's what shocked me. As I was like, "Oh, mm-hmm, this right. is still ILM." Like. Oof. Yeah, 
You know, I'll have to do a, a, a back-to-back rewatch of those. Because, well, maybe yeah, not back-to-back, but I remember really not liking Ang Lee's Hulk, and then I was a big defender of Louis Leterrier's Incredible Hulk, especially because it came out, I think, the same year or in close proximity to the first Iron Man, and I liked yes. Incredible Hulk a lot more than it, I liked Iron Man. It came out, God, I want to say months, or maybe like six months, after, but it was, it was, it was so close, and I remember Robert Downey Jr., getting really pissy with the press because you know stuff like that hadn't been done before and i remember specifically it's burned into my brain him doing one press thing where somebody asked him about the incredible hulk and he's like oh those marvel people they're so clever aren't they because i have this movie out and here you are asking me about this other movie that's not (laughs) even out yet that i may or may not be in like and i was just like "Ooh!" like obviously he became much more of a team player after that yeah but i was just like someone is salty <laughs> yeah because he probably was like yeah this is like i'm trying to be really good right now and yeah. off the drugs so i need my money exactly. so please don't ask me about these now it's yeah. like please oh, oh i love everything there. anyway um gavin is here as we said to talk about cast a deadly spell a made-for-tv movie that aired on hbo in 1991 not really um, an adaptation of Lovecraft, not really a spiritual adaptation of Lovecraft, but sort of just a an interesting third option when it's sort of like, let's take a world that's inspired by Lovecraft and make him a character inside of it, pre- played by Fred Ward, um, who I've loved ever since I first saw Tremors for the first time years and years and years ago. <laughs> um, yeah, but I guess, uh, um, Gavin, I, I want to start with you because James has, has seen this um, a couple times and it's he has loved it. This was my first time seeing it, but it was something that uh, when I gave you a few options of things to talk about, you you seemed to latch on to cast a deadly spell. So can you talk about your um, experience with it for the first time? Because talking off mic, your first experience with it, a bit different from uh, uh, your now experience with it. Yes. Oh, well, I mean, I um, I don't know how to preface this. Uh, I'm, I'm going to make it sound like a brag and then it's not going to be a brag. Um, I was one of those kids who grew up and had HBO. Uh, uh, uh. No, no, I was too. So I'm not gonna. But I had no, I had no other table. Well, I was gonna say I was also one of those poor kids that's cable was wired wrong, so I had HBO for free. (laughs) Ooh, yeah. In fact, I had it so much for free that it was free basically until I went to college, and my dad went and got like the the big cable setup installed, and they were like, um, this is not hmm. <laughs> so he was like fuck um if i could swear sorry i apologize Absolutely. And, uh, uh, but uh <laughs> <laughs> but yeah so i remember seeing this probably around the time it aired probably in 1994 which makes me around like 11 or 12 and i just thought it was the coolest concept for a movie it was <laughs> taking these you know these ideas from hp lovecraft's work loosely putting them into this like hard-boiled noir reality which is you know what is his name henry philip lovecraft i know they just mostly call him philip lovecraft in it but like yeah uh but h philip lovecraft in this film is a detective who doesn't use magic in a world where everyone uses magic which by the way sounds incredibly chaotic (laughs) and (laughs) the movie really does not mind that far enough if you ask me yeah but but I, I love the idea of it it being this sort of, you know, it's it's campy and it's dark and it's got elements of horror in it. But most of that is 
score related and not so much suspense related. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know. It, ju- it just seemed so cool. And Fred Ward seemed so cool mm-hmm. when I was a kid. And it's early film from Julianne Moore, you know, looking stunning. And then you have Clancy Brown, oh. who's the ultimate bad guy. Mm-hmm. And just getting him and he's sort of playing a role. And I remember this as a kid because I think my only, you know, point of reference for him was Kurgan from Highlander. Mm, And so (laughs) seeing him play this kind of weaselly, like, I'm I'm a real tough guy, but he's not really, you know, it's a front in this film. I thought was just such a cool. I was like, oh, wow, this is what actors do. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, yeah, I don't know. So like as as a like young teen slash preteen, I was like, this movie is so badass. That character is so cool. That universe is amazing. And then watching it now, you know, I mentioned before we started recording, we did a Julianne Moore episode and I made both my co-host and our guest Chris File uh, watch it. And um, they're both like, it's uh, it's not great. And I was like, oh, what? <laughs> that can't be. <laughs> and. And then I rewatched it this morning for this. And I was like, oh, no. (laughs) Um, So, uh, yeah, there's elements I really, really, really like about it. You know, it's it's produced by Galen Hurd of Terminator fame. And Mm -hmm. and it's, no, it's a project she really, really wanted to work because they made a sequel, which is essentially a reboot a couple of years later with Dennis Hopper in the same role. That's called Witch Hunt, if you can hunt it down. See what I did there? <laughs> and uh, I don't know. I, th- I think there's some base elements that really work. I think the script is unfortunately a little dull. And I think Martin Campbell's direction, surprisingly for a person who is like such an action film-oriented director, is a little dull. Mm-hmm. And th- there's also just a-, a bunch of stuff that upon reflection, I'm like, oh, that's that's <laughs> not great, you know? Yeah. A bunch, a bunch of racism and homophobia that I could have lived without on a Sunday morning. <laughs> yeah, but uh, I, I will say, yeah, Clancy Brown is included amongst a list of uh, like Bill Camp, Elias Codius, and Christopher McDonald in the sense of like put them in anything, and I will, I, I will enjoy their performances as character actors. Like anything, um, and he's yeah. genuinely so good in this. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, he, I, yeah, he, he's great. First... Like he's amazing. Yeah, from the first moment he shows up at the the Dunwich Club, by the way, very clever. Um, and from from that first moment, and he's like, play, you know, Julianne Moore's there. She's playing the piano, and he's he's being like the suave mobster esque, uh, which eventually ends up sort of falling apart for him. But it, yeah, it's I don't know. He's sort of my MVP of the movie, which is not to take anything away from Fred Ward, but I think Fred Ward's doing exactly what he was asked to do. But it's just you know. Yeah. It, it's it's it, by the hour and a half mark when it's starting to get to the end. It's like you're just gonna do that, not doing anything else, Fred Ward. <laughs> Correct me if I'm if I'm wrong, but uh, you know, well, let me step back a little bit, and uh, James will will certainly get to you. But I'm taller, so I'm talking yeah, yeah. first. Um, That's fine. <laughs> um, no, because I I did like it does a very good job of including a lot of these elements from a film noir story that is like the tried and true uh, archetypical kind of story that you would expect. I mean, especially sort of this um, hard-boiled detective with the quippy dialogue who has some type of past that you're not entirely sure what it is. Mm -hmm. Um, And and I guess we were going to get to a point where, because he makes um, Phil 
makes a note that he doesn't use magic when everyone does, and I thought we were going to get to a point of like, oh, we'll, we'll find out why, and I don't recall if, if th- that just doesn't happen, does it? No, no, it never does. It's it's no. almost like remember he says it's 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 a, it's a secret. It's it's personal. What's the personal yeah. reason? It's personal. And and they try and in witch hunt, if I remember correctly, they try and retcon it so it's yeah. like, uh, like an accident occur. Like he tried it once and it it failed. And yeah. but there's something. This specifically in this film doesn't feel like that. It doesn't feel like he's been traumatized by magic. It just seems yeah. like. There's a reason, and he's not going to talk about it, and that's it. Right. Whereas in Witch Hunt, it, it felt like any time they brought it up with Dennis Hopper's version of Philip Lovecraft, he was like, oh, no, I don't use magic. <laughs> yeah, like, it was an accident. Yeah. And then, and then, <laughs> yeah, the I do remember that, too. Decide. I do remember that. Yeah, like, yeah. It, like in, in Cast of Deadly Spell, he doesn't, it doesn't seem like he carries it around like trauma. as more like pride. Like, oh, well, I don't do yeah. that, everyone, which is why I'm more expensive, because I'm thorough. I'm more thorough and better at it. So it was... Right. Yeah, I thought we'd get to it, and I thought specifically it would have something to do with his relationship with Julianne Moore. Like, there was a reason that there mm-hmm. was some tension there that had to do with magic. Instead, it's just kind of like, no, no, move along. That's not really important. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's a bit strange because it it certainly does. I mean, even very early on in the film, there's a scene with him and another policeman who like uses magic to light his cigarette, and he's like, ah, "You too." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. God damn it! Yeah, and and so it does feel. You're right. It's more more of a a moment of pride for him than it is about anything else. Mm-hmm. Which I I. My big problem as an adult watching this movie is I was like, oh, magic's too easy. Like, that's a you rarely see magic represented this way in a film. Like, there's literally no consequences, barely any incantations at any point in time. It just seems like people can do it offhand without any. And I was just like, well, this is incredibly chaotic and dangerous. And maybe there should be something to like rein this in. Because even, and, it's a nice touch and I wish there were more things like this, but there's a scene where he sees a bunch of kids just like yes. casting spells on a car <laughs> yeah. just, just to like fuck up a car for fun. And, and yeah, I was like, giggles. Oh, that's funny, you know, yeah. but like also, is there any consequence to that for those children? You're right in that the, the, the story doesn't play with that as much as you would think it, it could or should. And I gotta be honest, as a fan of, of Lovecraft's work and and these, you know, talking about all these adaptations, the the one that, you know, the, the kind of stories which I don't love are the ones that focus more on heavily magic stuff, because there are elements of that in his story, but it's almost kind of like a rarity, like there's a, a small group of people who kind of dabble with these things, and so um, to have a world where like, oh sure, everyone does, everyone does magic, this is just a thing, it almost kind of makes the the Necronomicon and the quest for it kind of a little bit less high stakes. So like, well, anyone seems like it's kind of, they can, they can achieve this whole thing. Um, and in a way it was also sort of my, one of my biggest complaints with Lovecraft country was that the fo- the show focused so much on the granular nature of magic and casting spells. I'm like, guys, I, I don't care about this. You're losing me. Cause like, I don't care about the spells. I want to focus more on the characters in the world and let's, let's move on from these sort of things. Right. But, James, you were uh, you were um, you're quite a fan of this. You you have said that this is the second time that you are covering this uh, on a podcast for you. The first time being small screen cinema. Yeah, I mean, like, and I agree with you guys. Like, it's 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 weird because while I love this film, as Gavin said, I agree. There's a lot of problems with it, and it really is the script. Like, is kind of 
like it's it's trying to do a lot at the same time as being very small and it's kind of like hard to do both because i think the world building works to it to an extent but it's true like magic is like pretty freaking easy but i think the point of it is and at least this is me looking at it like for from years of watching it that yeah anyone has the ability to to do magic but can they do it well can you just do a stupid trick of course most people can just do a little trick but then you have people like david warner's um character that seeks out the necronomicon because he wants to open the you know the old ones back to bring them back and become a god like them you know you're not gonna have everyone doing that so i but i think if what what makes me sad is like this idea would be great as like an eight episode tv series now on hbo to build the world to kind of showcase the levels of magic there are you know how something like the necronomicon is this ultimate tome mm-hmm. that if you if someone gets it, you know we're all fucked. You know, like we we can't have this in this world of magic being that easy. But they don't really describe that. And something with you know the whole thing with uh, I didn't I you know I don't mind not knowing what his past is because for all we know maybe they intended to make I mean they did make a sequel like we said but. Yeah. Maybe they wanted to make a series of these films kind of like, you know, every couple of years and build upon the character and the set in the showcase. Maybe, I mean, hell, you know, nowadays they would go back and make a prequel film of him young, <laughs> yeah. showing him like as a cop and something happening or. Well, that's what genuinely surprised me in watching this. I was like, how is this not based off a book? And how is there just not a series of books about this detective? And so it's it's kind of shocking that, yeah, that has never happened because it does. It feels like it feels like fodder for a serial and not necessarily like a a standalone film Mm -hmm. because it is so broad. And, And it's like you said, it's it's like it's trying to do something huge, but also trying to do something small because the mystery that ends up happening, you know, he he's hired by David Warner to get back the Necronomicon from Clancy Brown. And the twist is essentially like, that's not important at all. <laughs> like no. it, D- David Warner just needed it and it needed the <laughs> distraction. And, uh, you know, that's so small and so unimportant in the end. And I think that's where the movie sort of fails itself because when it, when it does get to that, it does almost feel like David Warner's just like, yeah, everything you just sat through doesn't matter, by the way. <laughs> right. Well, yeah, because yeah, mm-hmm. it, it actually, you, no, you're 100% correct, because the whole time he has that gargoyle tracking right. him. Yeah. While he could have just had the gargoyle take the fucking book from the beginning. Like, like, yeah. oh, oh, I know where it is now. Go get it. Yeah. Like, the mm-hmm. gargoyle is maybe my second favorite character, yeah. because there's a great moment <laughs> yes. where he's fighting the gargoyle, and he, like, turns around and puts his hands on his hips, <laughs> uh-huh. like, come on. And then he and kicks the, him the gargoyle balls. Yeah, yeah, and the I will say that that's one thing I think this film does really well is it it balances the humor with the film noir elements. Like it, it doesn't yeah. it doesn't ever really. I mean, maybe now and again verges into parody, but not really. Instead, it's just kind of right. here's a here's a comedic film noir story. And I, I I love the little quick reveal when um the chief is grilling someone. He's like, come on, buddy, tell us the truth. And he cuts back yeah. and he's interrogating Arr. a werewolf. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and then he says like, I hate full moons. Yeah. <laughs> what, one of my favorite moments, even though I was a little like, 
okay, you don't you don't have to like bring up this the Pacific about it, but like the guy that's working on his card, he opens up the thing and he's like, uh, the guys come back from the Pacific and all they bring us are these gremlins, and yeah. it's just a bunch of gremlins <laughs> in the car. <laughs> like, gremlins, yeah. I was like, yeah, yeah. I want to know more about is, the gremlins. Yeah, what I love is before that he's just like, and you know, what we brought back from the from France during the war was the clap. Yes, I was like, yeah. as a as a kid, I did not get that. I was like, yeah, the clap. Yeah. Like, clap on, clap off? Like, the clapper? Don't understand that. Um, yeah, and I, I will say, because it, it seems like Doherty, and I, apparently, according to IMDb, before this movie was made, they were trying to get it made for, like, ten years, which would lead me to believe that, obviously, the script was written sometime in the 80s. It's interesting, because at that point in history, you know, From Beyond had come out, Reanimator had come out, yeah. so Lovecraft adaptations were out there, but they were certainly... I, I would I would probably say that his name was not one that was as widely recognized unless you were in very specific circles, such as, you know, weird right. fiction circles or D&D &D or that kind of a thing. So his influence wasn't as nearly as as, as, as widespread as it was now. And and yet with that, it kind of feels like Doherty kind of knew a lot of ins and outs of film noir, but not so much Lovecraft stuff, because a lot of the... A lot of the references to his stuff are sort of like they're they're fun. I mean the the Dunwich Room and and you know the Necronomicon like they're 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 cute and they're kind of fun, but they're also sort of surface levely. And if you you know just yeah. kind of take a pen and scribble one name or another, it just kind of becomes a a, a magic film noir. Um, and you know because you do have the Necronomicon as a MacGuffin, there's always a MacGuffin in his film noir things. And even the he, even there's ultimately kind of like a an L.A. real estate subplot kind of all tied yeah. in there like you see with yes. you know <laughs> who framed roger rabbit in, in chinatown and that kind of stuff so it's like oh this guy knows film noir um and lovecraft is just kind of a passing thing but maybe that's also just at that point who would have given a shit because who was lovecraft and who was really into it at that point right. well yeah and and well i'm glad you brought up roger rabbit because that's i think that's why i, f I fell in love with this movie when it when i started on hbo back mm -hmm. in 91 is because i was so obsessed with Roger Rabbit, <laughs> and I loved. I, I was obsessed with that that weird time period when Roger Rabbit came out, but then you had Dick Tracy, yeah. you had the Rocketeer, yeah, mm -hmm. you, you had the Phantom of you and the Shadow. All these like films that took place in like the 30s, the 40s, the, you know, and like, but it was but it was kid, incredibly like idealized 19. It's sort of it's oh, sort of, of like the like it was the. The Mad Men 1960s version of the 1930s, where everything looked like it did in a movie. You know, it was mm -hmm. never. Yeah, and I agree. I I think that's a really astute point. I hadn't thought about that, but that's that's true. There were all these like kind of hard boiled, almost noir esque films. Roger Rabbit is a noir, and you yeah. can't tell me any different. And uh, <laughs> and, and, and and like you aimed sort of at a younger generation too like these these are movies our our parents could enjoy but they weren't necessarily fully aimed at them they were aimed at like teens and younger right right and i kind of love that time period which it's, it's just weird to think back like huh like that like that's what they were going for like for those like maybe four or five years that was the hot thing to kind of well it was also you know with stuff like dick tracy and stuff it was old characters that especially the shadow and the phantom anyone well, that's, could, you know that's all because of batman and i mean yes, even yes. when yeah, you, you look at the lineage of you know burton's batman burton's batman isn't doesn't necessarily like look 
or evoke a noir, but there is something to the costuming in that movie mm-hmm. where everybody's in a fedora, you know, yes. they're running around in trench coats that it has a throwback quality. And that's sort of compounded when you get things like Batman, the animated series that they were like, mm-hmm. well, we're not going to make it look like the movie. We're going to go from the standpoint that, cause the, the mission of that was it's the 1920s world fair, but it yes. just never ended and technology right. progressed. So in a way it's very much like this, but instead yeah. of magic, it's art deco. <laughs> and, so, <laughs> and so i think that's such an interesting yeah there was it was something in the zeitgeist at the time that was sort of this this throwback to the 20s through the through the 40s but only sort of the only sort of the good stuff right. <laughs> you know right yeah, well none and, of the darkness yeah know? cool. yeah and because in the 90s you know the early 90s and especially the late 80s with you know reagan and you know where make america great again came from and just this looking back to a a a more pristine innocent time so you have these properties like that like the rocketeer and like this movie where it's like yeah the 30s and 40s were sort of like i I don't want to say peak americana but looking back as like the you know there was the good guys and the bad guys there was the cops and there was the mafia and there was that cleanly and then in 1991 it's reagan's vice president george herbert walker bush who is in charge of things so of course it makes it, it makes sense to continue that and then I, I love Roger Rabbit because it's sort of like, oh, it's a it's a fun noir cartoon, but there's also a cynicism that's buried underneath there. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, Big time. Which I, I can't tell if that is a trait of Robert Zemeckis throughout his entire career. This is this, <laughs> If anyone listens to the Blank Check podcast, they've been going through Robert Zemeckis' catalog, and it's, it's sort of this question of, is he a standard boomer, or is he kind of cynical about things and just sort of slipping them in there without people sort of really realizing it, which is interesting. That's a good point. Yeah, I, I'm gonna have to like, like watch the Back to the Future movies again and see that cynicism in because there is there I'm, is cynicism. In oh, it. there absolutely is. Especially you know, it's it's certainly no accident that he sends Marty McFly to the 50s. Yes, you know, and I, I, it's funny that you would say that like the 30s, the 20s through the 40s feel kind of peak Americana because I always feel like, especially in the 80s, you know, uh, the late 70s and the 80s, the thing that they're always sort of looking back to the simpler time is is the 50s. Yep. You know, it, mm-hmm. you get like happy days and stuff like that. And uh, but but I mean, it is such a I, I do think anything sort of that that prior to the 60s, prior prior to the, you know, counterculture revolution. I think people sort of look back on that. But also, it's funny that you would mention that because that leads me to a perfect segue mm-hmm. to like sort of the more uncouth moments in it because <laughs> yes. because Please. I do think I do think there is something to be said about portraying an accurate representation of of the the racism and the homophobia of that time period uh, because they were they did exist and they were prevalent. But I also think it's such a strange thing to present them without comment. Yeah, without sort of and in this film, you know. Uh, as we mentioned, Clancy Brown plays this gangster in his employ. There is uh, a West Indian uh, zombie and also West Indian zombies like building houses as part of the real estate scheme, Mm -hmm. which by the way, there's like a whole running gag about them just falling down dead while doing that. (laughs) And I was like, am I supposed to be laughing at that? I don't understand. Mm, Um, But, and, and that's presented sort of without comment in the film, you know, uh, you know, Lovecraft, sort of like nudges and he's like bet they start smelling after a while and it's like okay bud (laughs) calm down um but then you get you get something like lee turgeson's character lee turgeson who most people know i i feel bad saying this at this point because i feel like he's been in a billion other things at this point but from oz (laughs) uh what do you guys have a a better frame of reference from him for him because that's what i I always think of 
I mean, no, Oz is one of my go-tos. And I also love him in Wayne's World a year later yeah. after this. So as Terry. But yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. But, I forgot but no, about you're right. Yeah, it's so weird. Like, he, he's such a great actor. That's the oh, thing. Oh, he's like, so good. Yeah. He, and, and, again, and, he's one of those faces that you go, oh, that guy. So he's the, in the, this. The first time you see him in the film, he's presented it, uh, in drag. Yes. And what annoys me is like, yes, there has been many makeup advances over the years, especially in terms of contouring and what you can do to a person's face. But they literally, he had like a five o'clock shadow. And yeah. I was like, yeah, I was like, so we know from the first moment, this is a man in a dress. This is not, this is not, you know, a, a woman, but I feel like the film wants you to believe it's a woman because the next scene that he's in, he's being interrogated by Lovecraft and they've even gone as far as digitally altering his voice, the timber of his voice, which right. I thought was such a strange thing because when, when Lovecraft tears the wig off him, he then no longer has it. Mm -hmm. And I was like, why bother? Why not just let him use his voice? Like, I'm not confused by this. I'm not like you, your ruse didn't work. <laughs> like it wasn't like what a twist. Like, yeah, no, I knew that from exactly. the start. Yeah. But you know, Lovecraft gets him alone and immediately punches him and proceeds to call. Yeah. Immediately. Like Sean, Sean Connery, beginning of Thunderball. Like that's a man, baby. <laughs> you know, style. Um, and, and then like, uh, and then proceeds to call him a bunch of names, you yeah. know, mm -hmm. very, including fairy and and this is our hero and we're not given sort of any context other than it's just like okay well he's homophobic and i guess that's cool because he's a cool guy and, right. and that, like that sort of that stuff is permeates a lot of 90s films and i i think it goes back to exactly yeah. what you were saying about the reagan era and the uh but but it's interesting to watch because if this film were made nowadays, and if that character had that inclination, there would be some sort of retrospective processing of that as to what is going on or something, somebody to explain, like, why are we like this? Like, what is happening in this time? And without that, it just feels like added shock value. Yeah. And. And it's I I find that really unfortunate. It's it's like a, they had a fundamental misunderstanding of what makes an anti-hero, or you know, it's sort of like right. you know he's a good guy, but let's make him do some shitty things, and that's an anti-hero, right? And like, well, no, not really. Um, and yeah, you you mentioned like the the West Indian zombies who are kind of just the 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 sort of a background joke, and I, I mean. If I were going to give the film credit, and I'm, and I don't think it, it necessarily deserves this, it's sort of a a commentary on that society at that time of like how little they think of anyone who is not only not white, but not, you know, not white a real estate developer or someone yeah. who is making money for, you know, a, a, a society, which is all kind of, you know, tied in with each other and, you know, mutually beneficial. But that's if I'm giving the film extreme credit, because as you say, there's inclusion, but there's no comment. It just kind of is right. there. Uh, and, and it's sort of like, at best, it's sort of lazy and it, and it expects us like, no, no, you you guys do the work and, and figure out what I'm doing with this sort of thing. But it's like and, and that's what it, it feels like, because everything that you just said, it's like, yeah, but you had to you had to do all that on your own. <laughs> you had to. And I, the average viewer isn't going to sit there and process it afterwards and be like, well, you know, maybe what he was doing wasn't the best. Or maybe maybe the treatment of those West Indian people is not the best, you know, <laughs> but it's just. It's just presented without comment as just like, okay, well, this is a factor of this reality. And it's like, well, okay, well, then uh, there's certain elements of this reality 
I don't love. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't love craft. You know, like it's like, <laughs> but th- you know, but what may- maybe maybe what they really wanted was thirty years from the when it was made was that three guys on the internet were going to talk <laughs> about this and discuss it. And they were like, yes, they're talking about the West Indian zombies. They're yep. talking about yeah. the homophobia. Finally. They're in, referencing yes, it. In this, that's what moment. we intended. Yeah, in, yeah we in, intended yeah. this. In 1992, oh, Doherty was interviewed and said, "One day there will be podcasts, and podcasts <laughs> will discover." And people right. like, "What the hell is like, this guy talking what, about?" Yeah, what the fuck is they, a podcast? <laughs> they will take me to task, but in my heart, I will know it's because I deserved it. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, go go. go oh, well, I was just whole... gonna say, I I yeah. have I've never seen. I unfortunately didn't watch Love Clap. Lovecraft Country, uh, not out of any specific um, like I don't want to watch that. In fact, it looked really entertaining and and like something I would really enjoy. But uh, uh, I have chosen my penance of the mixed reviews, and I have very little time for a lot of TV. <laughs> and uh, and so that that's my own failing. That's and but when it was announced and it was like, oh, this show's really gonna delve into sort of the the racism of the era and and the problems with some of the work of Lovecraft himself and I was like oh that all sounds really interesting and I have no idea whether it succeeded or not because once again I I slowly just went right by me but <laughs> well it, and it, I mean it's, it's good that you mentioned Lovecraft Country because I actually do wonder how much of a staying power this movie has because I I know one thing that I noticed was the the you know the witch that Lovecraft rents his uh, his office space from. Her name is Hippolyte, and yes, one yes. of the characters in Lovecraft Country is named Hippolyta. And right. in Witch Hunt specifically, that character's name has been changed specifically to Hippolyta with an A on the end instead of an E on yes. the end. So I do actually wonder if this was a thing that Matt Ruff had seen at some point and stuck with him. So he's when he's writing Lovecraft Country, he's like, here's another way I'm going to kind of subtly subvert these kind of things. And if you're tuned in, you'll understand it. But if not, it's still fine because Hippolyta is a a strong character in her own right. 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 I, I did like the inclusion. There's a lot of references to the Greek gods and that sort yes. of mythology. There's a lot of references to astrology in the film. And I, I think all that stuff really helps that sort of world building as well as, you know, partially connecting it into Lovecraft and partially expanding it out beyond Lovecraft as well, too. So it's not just just about his works and everything, because if it was just fully de- derivative of what he did, then it would be. And really, really, there'd be no reason to make it. But, but. Well, and this is a good segue, because normally this is a question we, we ask all the guests that come on. Right. But I mean, Gavin, what is your relationship to Lovecraft, even if you're not a fan, just kind of what you were first exposed to and just kind of what him or his oeuvre kind of implies to you? Uh, I mean, I read some of them very a very long time ago because I was like, I'm a cool kid, and as it turns <laughs> out, people that is not what cool kids do. Um, so <laughs> but you, you I were was you like, were right there. You were the audience he was looking for. Yeah, right. exactly. Well, that's that's what I mean by like I connected into this stuff when I was like, you know, watching it because I I definitely read some of the short stories, even though they, it, I I think part of them part of the things that worked for me when i was a kid is they really felt like adults Mm -hmm. like i was like oh i'm reading what adults read (laughs) um but i but it's funny because like i I feel sort of the same way you know that happened with me with with stephen king as well too like i yeah i i devoured so many stephen king books because i was like this is what adults read and then sometime when i was like 15 my dad was like oh you're reading stephen king i don't like that guy and i think i sort of stopped because my dad was like 
because my dad was like hardcore sci-fi guy so he was like oh, okay. whatever like magic uh, haunted hotels <laughs> Um, <laughs> read, read Asimov, damn it! Yeah, and it, g- genuinely, and that's when I started reading Foundation. So, like, yes. you're not wrong. Um, <laughs> I have been called out, and yes. I have ended this meeting. Um, <laughs> but uh, I can't. Re- I genuinely can't remember if the first thing I read was Call of Cthulhu or From Beyond. Hmm. Um, I've never read the Reanimator things, and I think I would like them. And I, but, uh, but yeah, he's somebody I really liked when I was young and then sort of, um, sort of dropped out. I mean, I think that the last thing I read was at the mountains of madness mm. years ago. Um, and I mean, he was one of those guys that upon retrospect, I was like, I was like, yeah, there is, um, some pretty racist stuff in here. And I wasn't, I wasn't expecting oh, sure. that, oh, yeah. but, but I, but I see his, his fingerprint. On, on so many things I see is, you know, I mean, he may be, you know, Steve, speaking of Stephen King, Stephen King is a product solely of HP Lovecraft and Shirley Jackson, mm-hmm. yes. you know, yeah. he's the marrying of those two things and those, and, and you see that sort of, I don't know. There's a lot of stuff, especially from the nineties, especially when I would have been a kid that like, he is like, he's the man behind the curtain on a lot of them. And and I find that so interesting that this one person could be so influential to so many things. And it's not just all horror. It's not just, you know, I don't think we would have Guillermo del Toro mm-hmm. without him and like, right. and who has made horror movies, but I don't think, I don't think people consider Mr. Del Toro, like solely a horror auteur, you know, he won the Academy Award for a movie in which a woman fucks a fish man. So <laughs> I guess a that's romance. a specific yeah. type of horror if they if that's what um but <laughs> this is the future that, that liberals want. That's the horror. Sign <laughs> me up. Uh, he did he just did a full on long adaptation of the Reese Witherspoon Will Ferrell SNL sketch based on Little Mermaid, where she explains <laughs> that she doesn't have genitalia, she has fish genitalia. Right. Uh, 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 but yeah, so like, I don't I don't have a huge history with him. I maybe read like five short stories over the years and a couple of the novellas when I was real young and have never revisited. But I but I did think, like, I, I once again was like, oh, this is cool because this is adult. And like, as a kid, I was one of those, like, like I really got along with adults and not with people my age. And yes. Lord knows how good that is. But, um, but yeah, so like, I, th- I think I sort of ended up recontextualizing sometime around college and was like, I don't know if this is what I'm into, but a lot of people I really respect are into it. So mm-hmm. maybe there's, certain elements that like I myself could revisit and maybe look into and see like, well, what don't I like about this and what do I like about this? And unfortunately I've just never taken the time to sit down and and really recontextualize that. But he has certainly been a force, you know, he got me into a lot of things and a lot of fantasy stuff. And as I said, you know, probably wouldn't have been into Stephen King as a teen without, without HP Lovecraft. But it's Mm. just funny that I found him first because I don't think that's most people's trajectory. I think it's usually the reverse. Um, yeah. But yeah. Yeah, and, and and King has been very open that, you know, if there's no Lovecraft, there's no him, uh, basically. And, I mean, you can see it, not not in a lot of, in a lot of his novellas, but if you read the short story Grey Matter uh, that he wrote, the, yeah. it's, it's a very clear influence there. Um, and a little bit in the, the kind of 
larger mythology of Pennywise and the universe. I was just going to say, it's such a... 100%, yeah. Yeah, 100%. Um, Just like, this is Lovecraft. This is like curbing from his stuff and... Uh, but making it, I don't want to, I don't want to say he's like out there stealing ideas, but, but I do, but I, but I 100%, especially after reading, you know, a ton of Jackson as well. I'm like, okay, this is clearly where, this is where Stephen King's bread and butter is where he's like, he's got the sort of like, there's something, something buried underneath this small town life that comes from both mm-hmm. Lovecraft and Jackson. And yeah. Um, and we've, I mean, we've talked about many of the the problematic elements of both Lovecraft and this story on here. Um, we should probably pay a little bit of lip service to probably, in my estimation, what is the most disturbing part of this, in the sense that, um, yeah, uh, the salvation of the world ultimately uh, comes about because a, a scumbag cop took the virginity of an underage woman, and yeah. we're all supposed to laugh about it before yeah. the credit and, and like it was and what makes it what makes it even worse is there's that throwaway line about her he's like well she's 14 and she's like i'm 16 and it's like okay this is better this is not yeah, better yeah <laughs> it, it, it's, <laughs> and, and, and he and he's married yes, on top of yeah. everything else he's also an adulterer you know what i mean so it's like oh statutory rape saves the world yeah, and, you know, Fred, even Fred Wirt's like championing it. He's like, yeah. Yeah, Fred Wirt's reaction is literally they're going to build statues to you. Yeah. It, Can you not tell anybody, please? Especially because <laughs> as soon as soon as um, you know Phil meets her, is her, is her name Olivia? Her character's name is Olivia, yeah. I believe. Um, I think so, yeah. there, there's there's kind of the flirting, and I'm like, please, movie, don't let the character go there. And they don't, <laughs> oh, and and Phil stays away. Don't. So I'm like, okay, good. But then they do ultimately go there, and we're supposed to laugh about statutory rape at the what? end and it's just like right. the yeah. fuck are you doing here people i know it's oh but it's a different time no fuck you like, no but that's like, that's exactly what i mean you know it's it's presented without yeah. any sort of recontextualization or comment yeah and yeah so it, it feels inherently gross you know that and they make such a huge deal out of it like she you know, the first time she's presented in the film and what I think is actually maybe one of the most striking visuals in the film, he like almost runs into a unicorn yes. and, <laughs> and she rides after the unicorn with a bow and arrow. And, you know, the next scene he's with her and he's like, basically like, oh, I know your big secret. You're a virgin because only a virgin can hunt a unicorn. Mm-hmm. And she yeah. slaps him. And right. it's just like, well, why, why do either of them care that much about this? Like, yeah, right. and, and sort of plays into that, that, you know, these, this, these very misogynistic tropes in the sense of like, you get the sense of, of Julianne Moore's character is sort of the bad one, the femme fatale, because she's, there maybe is that sexual past or, or something yeah. which is sort of alluded to that. Mm-hmm. Whereas Olivia is the good one because she's the virginal one and the it's person. her giving up her virginity, which ultimately this god is like well fuck this i'm not destroying the world because i only right. want a virgin and it's so, yeah it's it's weird too because yeah going back like how it's david warner's daughter too who is going to sacrifice her mm-hmm, is yeah. why he kept her safe and in basically almost imprisoned in this estate to keep her virginity and but then like yeah like you said the, the this old god of some sort some sort of cthulhu mashup of of yeah. characters and he does name he, check cthulhu but this is clearly not it no, I, no I think he's like his I, younger brother i think it's supposed sort. to it's supposed to be azathoth i believe oh, okay I, I, i'm not sure I, yeah it's, but, but, it's but I, kevin thulu kevin his thulu. first cousin once removed <laughs> but, but i love the reaction of this old god when it's like 
He picks up the virgin. It's like, wait a second. (laughs) This isn't a virgin. Tosses her down, and it goes, fuck it, I'm going to eat David Warner instead. Yeah. (laughs) How dare you wake me up for this? Yeah, and and I, I suppose you could make the argument, it's like, well... It's it's a subversion of that trope because it's actually her yes. not being a version which saves the world. But you'd also be wrong because that's a bad argument. And yeah. It, no, and it's funny. You, no, and it's funny. And this is something I, I a weird parallel to this movie and to another film that is very problematic in some ways. Um, a, a film that I still love, but it and I obsessed over as a kid was the Monster Squad. Mm. Yeah. And the Monster Squad, the whole, you know. Thing to destroy, you know, and and and, and the it's the opposite. Virginity is actually is what's going to save the world in right. that movie. Mm-hmm. And they the whole joke is that like the girl, the 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 sister of one of the characters, oh she's a virgin, and then it's like, oh what well, she she's like, well it doesn't count, and that's like the joke. Like it's a right. guy that she slept with, but she didn't really like him, so it doesn't well- count. But, uh, well, the, I, the joke in that, actually, and I will give it this it one defense, which is still not, it's still kind of gross, <laughs> but she's like, they're like, oh, you're not a virgin? And she's like, does third base count? Yeah, does third, <laughs> does third base count? <laughs> and, it's just, and then, like, I do like that joke, even though it is clearly, like, the, the idea is that it's an underage girl and whatnot, but also the implication is that she slept with maybe, or, or had... Multiple. An encounter with somebody her own age. Yes, um, yes. That, which is, makes which is already it, a better thing, yeah. Yeah, so, yeah. But it's still, you're right. It is It is still a disturbing joke, but one that's handled, I guess, if you're handling that sort of thing slightly better. <laughs> but yeah. yeah. And well, and uh, it also it also leads me to that, like, the film doesn't seem like it knows what to do with Julianne Moore because she turns out to kind of be a femme fatale, but like a failed yeah. femme fatale. Yeah. Very failed, yeah. Well, and yeah, what's she... weird is yeah. What's weird is that, like, what I wish happened was like you know Julianne Moore kills Clancy Brown's character mm. and is gonna wants I guess wants to be the ruler of a destroyed world. Yeah. That's what she wants to do, which is out of fucking left field. But whatever. Which, and then which she, also like, doesn't gets... necessarily work because the way oh. that they presented with Clancy Brown is that yeah. you know David Warner explains. This yeah. world is going to be destroyed, and Clancy Brown's too much of an idiot to understand. He's basically right. like, yeah, I'm going to be king of the trash heap. Like, <laughs> no, yeah. Right, right. And I, I kind of love Fred Ward's, like, see, I, I actually think Fred Ward, even though he's kind of one note, he's in on the joke, and he's yeah. just kind of like, every so often, he'll almost like, look, almost looks at the camera to wink at you to go, <laughs> look at this idiot. <laughs> like, because he almost does that when he says, Oh, you're gonna be the rule. Like, yes, yeah, I'm gonna be the rule of the world. I'm gonna be the king, and it's like, king of shit. Okay, cool. Have have fun with that. Whatever. Good luck. <laughs> I, I meant to bring this up earlier, but Gavin, when you talked about this idea of it's a world where everyone can do magic, and the film doesn't take advantage of that to a great extent. Um, when uh, Mickey is it Mickey who at the beginning is killed in the bathroom because it, it's a death by paper cuts from a lot of different little pieces yeah. of newspaper. Like, really? That's okay. I, I, I guess that's yeah, where we're going with it. By a thousand cuts. Even that example is what I mean by like the you know the the guy that kills him. Um, Tugwell. Who I can't, yeah Tugwell who's played by the great Raymond O'Connor. Oh, he's um, amazing. Yeah. And, and like he 
like he doesn't do like he like basically like kind of points at or like blow like he like blows a little smoke or something yeah. mm-hmm. and like that's all it takes to kill like that it it seems like it's the most dangerous thing in the world magic and yet everybody could like you know just without even thinking about it just kill somebody else you know and that's and that's what i mean by it's like a little frustrating that there there is no there's no definition to the rules of magic of real of this reality it's just like oh you do it and that's it yeah, I mean that's why I I think it's it's a very lofty thing to say. Oh, everyone can use magic, but let's not explain the levels of magic. Where, right. like, we see bartenders, you know, oh look, I can pour this bottle without my hands. Yeah, but then I could also kill you with paper. Yeah, yeah. Because- I, can, I, I I can I can incite this demon to come out of a pot of like chili and try to <laughs> yeah. kill you. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah. which I love that scene. That scene's so much fun. Mm-hmm. But it's like. You kind of have to explain that. I mean, and we're we're all about not explaining it always, but it's like, eh, you kind of have to because like, could 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 the kid? Can a kid do that? Right, right. That's well, bad. And, and get the impression that they could. Right, they're destroying cars. Yeah, well, and and especially in something like a, a noir story, which you know generate, which you know kind of came about from social commentary of what was going on in the country. If you even tied it into the fact that like. People are born with different levels of it, and so the low-level right. people, there's kind of a social stigma, like, well, they're 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 the poor people, the ones who can't really do things, all the way up That's to these true. corporate CEOs. So, like, I can construct an entire building with my magic, and then it gives it more of a context that there's a stigma around Lovecraft because I don't do magic. They're like, oh, so you are at the bottom of the barrel in this society, right. and you are choosing to do that for some reason. But instead, it's just kind of yeah. I can kill people with newspaper and reanimate the dead and light my own cigarette. And that's, is that it really? That, no. Is that okay. the same level? Yeah. yeah. It's like, hmm. well, and that also brings up the point of, of Hippolyte who you mentioned earlier, yes. who is his landlord, but also a voodoo priestess, but yes. also doesn't ever really seem to do too much yeah. with her. And it's like, so is voodoo a separate class of magic? Is it just like, is it just her religious practice and it has nothing to do with her magic or, and I, I don't know. I thought I, uh, yeah, it's, it's all these like lingering questions. And once again, you're right. Like I don't need to be walked through every minute detail. I don't need the movie to start in like the 1500s with somebody explaining <laughs> me all the rules, yeah. mm-hmm. but <laughs> some rules, some consequence or whatnot, because then you, you literally just have a chaotic world without any sort of I don't I don't know it's such a strange it is such a promising concept that I don't yeah. think is executed very well yeah and and we, you know we didn't also need the you know the opening title scrawl or a voice oh, yeah. kind of like you know in this world were, yeah yeah we, we didn't we don't need that but we do need no. we do need a sense of what this world is and what right. its rules are and you're right they it just isn't that thing could have been reserved for explaining something because literally right. in the next scene his boss says it's 1948. Everybody uses magic. Right. And I was like, we just saw that. Yeah. And what's funny is like, and, and like you, you have the, the chief or, you know, like saying that who you could tell he doesn't use magic either. Right. Right. Like, like he's, he's very like not. Yeah. Right. He, he, he kind of hates it. He hates like uh, this newfangled. So from what it seems like, this has only been going on for yeah maybe 10 years, 20 mm-hmm. years, let's, whatever it is, because he's even like, ugh. You know, back in my day, we, we could do, you know, like we had to solve crimes like and it's like, wait, so how long has this been going on for? It's not really that long, but you don't explain. It. And then I love um, I, I always forget that actor's name, but, you know, from the thing and stuff, you know, you know, he's the one that becomes the uh, open. Charles, Charles Hallen. 
I think so. Yeah, he died very young, actually. Yes. But he, yes. but he, yeah. I, I, whenever I see him, I'm like, oh yeah, you, are you gonna eat someone's like you know arms off? <laughs> uh, <laughs> which is a great Lovecraft combination, you know, yeah, that we yeah. covered. Yeah. Yep. Kind of oh, weird, absolutely. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know if I have too much else to say unless you guys do. I did have a couple things for Gavin that are not related to this movie at all. So <laughs> I wanted to give people the chance that if you're done with this conversation, you can turn off the podcast now because what I'm going to talk about next has nothing to do with <laughs> Cast a Deadly Spell. Let's just say it didn't cast a deadly spell over me. Is that what you needed? You needed that sound clip? Yeah, now, now we're the the, 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 yeah. the applause track, and we're, yeah. we'll roll the credits over that. Can you, can you print that on the box? <laughs> yes, I can. Um, but Gavin, I, I we had talked a little bit about Batman before, and so I wanted to run something by you, because I know Gavin's a big Batman Returns fan, uh, oh, yeah. as is the entire internet, with the exception of me. But yeah, I, wow. I have, which is, which like partially I was like, should I go on this podcast? <laughs> Jim is clearly insane. So, but, but, but every now and again, I'll see it and something will occur to me that didn't, I'll be like, and I'll text it to Gavin. But here's, here's the one, here's one thing that I wanted to run by you. When I, when I watched this movie for the first time years ago, cause I watched Batman Returns as a child, which was a wonderful idea. Uh, yeah. But, oh, um, I didn't. If, if it makes you feel better, I did not like it as a kid. Like I saw it in the theater on the opening night, and <laughs> I wanted to. I wanted to leave. I was nine <laughs> years old, and I was like, "This is too scary." So trust me. Like I had my epiphany came later when I was like, "This movie is a lot more fun and a lot more kinky than I thought it was." <laughs> um, when when Michelle Pfeiffer makes her first reveal as Catwoman in the costume, she saves that woman from the mugging, and you know, there's that in that part where she retracts or, or, or pulls out her claws and the guy that she's attacking, there's like an insert shot of him with like kind of squinty eyes. And it seems like there's some sort of recognition or he's taking in some information that she does the tic-tac-toe and kills him. And then later on in the film, when she shows she kills him, but whatever <laughs> <laughs> anyway, but later on in the film, when she shows back up to the Bruce Wayne, Max Shrek meeting and she runs through her story about having amnesia and she mentions you know, you know the story about not wearing underwear to class one day, and the one person that rec- that recognized it was Ricky Friedberg, and she pauses yeah. and, get, and she says, "He's dead He's now." He's dead now. And in my mind, because you had Ricky. that recognition with the shot of it, seems like this guy has some tons of recognition. That was Ricky Friedberg, and she killed him in that attack. Huh. What do you think about that idea? Um, I think you're insane, but I love it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I've I've genuinely. Yeah, yeah. I've never. I mean, I I don't have to watch it now. I watch it every December, so <laughs> I just need to wait for December to roll around again. But uh, the it's gonna happen, I guess. Maybe. <laughs> I uh, hope so. <laughs> yeah. Every everyone, cross your fingers and pray to your rosary. But uh, the uh, yeah, I don't. I don't know. I've ne- I've never thought of that. That's an interesting. Well, that's a it, fun, interesting fan theory. I like it. And, I like it. And just because, why would she? specifically highlight Ricky Friedberg is dead now. How would right. she know that? And why would she relay that to us as an audience? I think she's just trying to be threatening. She's just trying to be like uh. the, everything she's doing is, you know, she's, she's literally there. This is a scene where, you know, Max Shrek has pushed her out of a building. He thinks she's dead. She's come back. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's, she's gallivanting at night and skin, skin tight vinyl that mm-hmm. she has to be vacuum sealed into, <laughs> yeah. uh, which is very true. She could only wear that costume for 10 minutes at a time. And, um, yeah, I think what she's doing is she's, she's basically that entire scene is her being like, 
oh, you think you have the power in this situation, Max, but clearly you don't. I have the power. And I think, you know, it's just just little weird things for her eccentricities to be like, you know, like better watch yourself or you'll end up like Ricky Friedberg, you know, and but but that's fun. I like I don't mind that. I don't think it's wrong. I mean, there's so many weird little touches in that movie. I I wouldn't be shocked if that has crossed somebody else's mind as well, too. It's a I think I know you don't love it. I think it's a very, very smart script. It's uh, written by Daniel Waters of Heather's fame. And I think it's a better script than Heather's, actually. But it has those like quick you know quips in it all around my favorite exchange in it is when she's you know her and bruce wayne are on his couch and and he says something about you know like if he told her all of this she would think he was a psycho and wouldn't let him kiss her and she said she responds with you know the psychos never bothered me at least they're committed (laughs) yeah okay like no it's a very clever script yeah yeah and there's lots of good witty little little bits of dialogue in there like that so i think yeah i think what she's jenny waters is a bit of a sassy guy himself and i think that's what she's doing in that scene is just being a little sassy pants Hmm. well (laughs) jim what you should do is contact daniel waters because he's very open on twitter and facebook yeah yo no he's very much so yeah 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 now know this so so like I would say, you know, just go go with it. Just actually, just randomly ask that, and, and you know what? He might answer back. Go, he'll tell you either way. Like, or it'd be great if he goes, "Huh, I never actually thought about that. That's brilliant. Be my friend." <laughs> Who are you, and why are you talking to me? <laughs> right, well, that too. That too. <laughs> I thought I told you either to leave way, me alone it's already. A win, it's it's a win win. Yeah. yeah. No, that's that, okay. That makes sense. <laughs> and then and then the the other thing that I, I guess is a good point to end us on is. Um, and this is a poll for all of us, I, I guess, all three of us. Um, what are we least excited about? The Super Bowl tonight or the R-rated Zack Snyder cut of Justice League? <laughs> well, I, I can answer that, but I'll, I'll let everyone else go. Well, I was going to say, first of all, what's a Super Bowl? Uh, <laughs> uh, I, there was a great viral video that's going around of a guy calling his friends it's tiktok of a guy calling his friends and asking them who uh is in tonight's super bowl and it ends with a person saying there's no way to know and that's (laughs) and that's how i feel like that's me i was like yeah there's just literally no way to know um so but also like i don't i mean i i have so many opinions of that and and to avoid getting tarred and feathered by some sort of fanatical army online i will just say i'm not interested that's <laughs> the 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 four rated or, or the r-rated four hour uh justice yeah. league cut yes. i think Ex- extra oh. 70 million because that yeah. could have gone to a better cause during a pandemic <laughs> or another film like... yeah or another film a, a whole two moderate budget films <laughs> <laughs> seven indie films yeah, yeah like, like... Mm-hmm. Yeah, ten indie films. Come, uh, yeah, like, uh, actually, now I'm hearing it's like a hundred million dollars. Oh, like, I believe spent, it. So it keeps going up, and you're like, ooh, that's. And the funny thing is, is he keeps claiming like he, sh- like he's like, yeah, I barely shot anything new, and it's like, first of all, you shouldn't have been allowed to shoot anything new. Right. But also, like, that's you know, I don't, I don't, I don't know. Also, I grew up like this is not me as a non-comic book fan. I grew up reading comic books. My first comic was. Death of the Family, which is oh, yes. super, super dark yep. and super Starlin, yes, yeah, yes. yeah, and so so good, and but like very bleak, very dark, 
And yet at the same time, I find nothing less appealing than watching a superhero movie that spends four hours just being the absolute like bleakest nonsense. And so like, yeah, it just doesn't appeal to me. And I don't get what the, the, the people that are like restore the Snyder universe like that. He like man of steel, isn't even a Superman movie to me in my opinion, but that's, you know, so I'm, I'm clearly very excited and can't (laughs) wait. James. Um, Hmm. Well, it's funny. I'm going to the Super Bowl thing. Like, I didn't know who was in it until someone at work told me, oh, you watching it? Like, on Sunday, I'm like, what's a Sunday? Yeah. And then he went, oh, what? I'm like, because I don't know what days are anymore. Because sure. I work overnights. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, my even my boss actually, like, was like, oh, um, like, I know you're working Sunday, but I noticed something like, I don't care. And he starts laughing. He's like, really? I'm like, yeah, I don't care. Like, I don't. I don't watch it. I, I mean, the only thing I'm interested in is the is the halftime show with the weekend because I love the weekend. Oh, that's who yeah. Okay. Other, other, but but I'm not gonna watch the Super Bowl for that. I'll watch the video later mm-hmm. when I get home. But um, the Snyder cut, I don't give it. I don't give two shits about it. <laughs> but I will watch it because yeah. mm-hmm. I have HBO Max yep. and will and I'll watch it. You know, I'll like I did a um, what do you call it? Um, one day during the pandemic when. You know, my job was closed. Um, I actually rewatched Man of Steel, Batman v Superman, Dawn of Justice. It's Batman <laughs> versus Superman, you fucking idiots. Um, what's a V? I hated that so much. To this day, I still hate it. Like, ugh, whatever. Kramer but, v Kramer? Like, no. Kramer versus Kramer. Did you not Kramer. love that moment where Justice Dawn? Is, is Dawn. Or, <laughs> or the moment of. Your mom is named Martha too. Yep. No. I, like we're besties now. Um, the, this God. is not my joke, so I can't take credit for it. <laughs> God, the Godzilla versus King Kong. Yes. Will, like, I, save Mothra. <laughs> Why would you say that name? <laughs> um, but like I, I'm with you, Gavin. Like I love a good dark comic book when it's when it's when it's when it's done well. Like Alan Moore. Yeah. He does dark comics. The Watchmen is a very dark. And then again. That's Zack Snyder. Yeah. And I don't even hate the Watchmen movie. I, I, I do. kind of like I, it. I, 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 don't think do. it's, I don't think it's good. I don't no. want to give it that credit. But I think it's probably Zack Snyder's best film. Um, I, I should say Dawn of the Dead is his best film. That, but would, I'm, be, that I'm would be my vote. But. I mean, yeah, maybe. I don't but, know. I, I, re, I had to revisit Dawn of the Dead for... We did a zombies episode for Mixed Reviews, and I was just like, oh, this was... Much worse than I remember. <laughs> yeah, well, well, too much disturbed in it. That's why. Yeah, I, I have. Yeah, and I'll, I will admit though, though I own it. I, I don't think I've watched it in probably about ten years. So it's been a long time. Yeah, I think it has a great opening scene, and then it kind of goes, "Oh, let's be like the original, but not." But not. Yeah, and that's and it's, one any day, you know. It, and that's exactly it. It's like somehow both too close and too far away from the. It's <laughs> such a weird. It, it it like finds the weirdest balance that is. Right, <laughs> but but and that's the thing. Like a, a a dark comic book, it works. But do you have to adapt it over? And then and the thing was Justice League. You know, some of my favorite Justice League stories aren't dark. Like it's like you know what I mean. Like go. I mean, I wish they would adapt something like um, like a, like the Keith Giffen run of like Justice League, especially Justice League International. Yeah. That stuff is so much fun. Have Guy Gardner being a dick. You know, I have my background blurred right now but if i didn't 
I have like almost the entire collection of Justice League International because it's one of my favorite runs. Oh, it's it's a brilliant run. Yeah, it's so good. And like, give me some Blue Beetle and Booster Gold in a movie as a team up movie. I'll I will love you forever. But going back to Zack Snyder, it's like, look, I don't hate the guy. Whatever. He and you know he has a niche and he has this fanatical fan base for some reason that. Well, and 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 that's the thing. What I love is that he's he's a. I'm not going to call him a con man. Because that's kind of cool, but kind of is. Gonna he, he's a yeah, snake, gonna oil, snake oil salesman. How about that? No, snake oil salesman. That's that's a more uh, proper term because you told us, oh, uh, it's all the stuff that I filmed, but it, but we had to cut it out because they wanted to. Then all of a sudden, it's like, no, no, I didn't. Like you said, I didn't film any of this. Like, oh, right. like it, it, like how much is going to be different? It seems like. All of a sudden, you have all these different things coming out. Like, oh, well, yeah, Martian Manhunter's in the movie now. Like, what? Really? Yeah, stuff with Jared like, Leto as the yeah, Joker. Yeah, Jared Leto as the Joker. And then it looks like, from the, the images, always, oh, but he looks kind of like the Heath Ledger Joker, maybe. Huh? Huh? See, it'll be better. It'll be better. Like, no, less Jared Leto in anything. Um, but... Let me correct you, James. Uh, I'm sorry. Golden Globe <laughs> nominee for The Little Things, Jared Leto, I think is what yeah. you mean. Uh, yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and <laughs> I, I was really excited to see that, like, that movie because I love Denzel. It's bad. I No, and that's the thing. It's a bad movie. I love Rami Malek, uh, you know, Jared Leto. But I've heard, like, such bad things about the movie. And I'm like, so then I thought, oh, this movie probably would have been a straight-to-video movie with 50 Cent. But they said, oh, we got Denzel, so we can price yeah, it up. Yeah, I – my – my reaction to that movie was I would have been so mad if I had seen it in the theater. So in a way I feel like the HBO max, like, um, their, their like distribution thing. I was like, maybe this is better because right. <laughs> I, this movie was real bad, yeah. but it's also an HBO original movie. So, Hey, that brings us right back around. Full circle. Yeah. <laughs> Gavin, yes. thanks for joining us for, um, <laughs> cast a deadly spell. Um, Oh, I, I guess I didn't answer which am I least excited about Super Bowl or, right. uh, uh, Super Bowl probably. <laughs> Cause I, I like, like James, I will, I will probably watch, at some point, the Snyder Cut, just so I can be part of the conversation, I will not right. really watch any watch. part of the Super Bowl. Yeah. Um, because true. Tom Brady's a shitty human being, but there are also many shitty human beings on the Kansas City Chiefs team, uh, which oh, is also yeah. shitty it's because special. it's a, a racist mascot and name. So, hooray. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. This is... I genuinely didn't even know it was the Chiefs playing. Seriously. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I, I only knew because I heard about the, uh, the what, the son of the... Uh... The, the head coach uh, almost killed a kid in a car accident because he was drunk. Wow. That makes sense. Um, like two days ago, right before the Super Bowl. Yep. yep. Good job, guy. Yeah. <sighs> anyway, um, Gavin. That downer. Yeah. Thank you for <laughs> thanks thanks for uh, for for joining us. But once again, uh, if people are like, hey, that Gavin, he's okay. And mixed reviews. That sounds cool. How can people find you and it? Uh, you can find me personally online uh, on Twitter at at friendless mean, which is. Uh, uh, a joke that's maybe played out it's welcome but i still love it it's how i'm going to die someday and uh <laughs> and if you want to find the mixed reviews you can find us on many different places we're on basically every podcast uh catcher app we're on you know, apple Podcasts, google play music stitcher spotify audible you can email us at reviewsmixed at gmail.com or if you want to tweet at us you can tweet at us at at the mixed reviews and if I may ask, how did you and, and Louie meet? Because you guys have such a great chemistry. I love it. 
uh th- through the internets through the internets uh i i had i years ago had a tumblr which apparently just turned 13 because i had to log into my old email account to get my skype to work uh, <laughs> um and i was like wow cool um haven't opened that in five years or so but uh and i met him through that he was living in um san francisco at the time and he just seemed like a really cool person to know and and we both have journalism in our background. He he didn't go to school for film or anything. He's a graphic arts person. Hmm. But uh, it's it's cool to be able to do the show with him because he doesn't have that sort of. So a lot of his reactions to things come from a very personal, very gut level. And hmm. I I enjoy it. I don't know. I I think I think he brings such a lively, interesting viewpoint to everything. And uh, hopefully that none of that sounds shady because it's not meant to be um, because I have seen that tweet going around about like people didn't like Malcolm and Marie because they don't have film degrees. Well, fuck that. That's <laughs> annoying nonsense. Uh, so, but yeah, so Louis, Louis great. Yeah. I just, I met him through the internet uh, years ago and, and when he first moved to New York, he was, I, I was ending. Um, I used to be a co-host and producer on the Midtown comics podcast and that was coming to an end. And he was like, we should do something. And I was like, I don't know, man. And he was like, let's do it. I was like, <laughs> okay. <laughs> so. That's wonderful. Um, I technically, I met James online as well. Cause I used to listen to the criterion yeah. cast and um, I don't know what it, I don't know what, it, somehow I was like, I have disagreements with you and Rudy on your thoughts on Prometheus. So let's get together and talk about it. So we met at a bar uh, right. and we talked about Prometheus and I was like, these guys are, pretty down to earth and cool um and then and after a fist fight yeah. <laughs> yeah. We, 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 afterwards we all hug uh i am uh nolan fixes teeth on twitter james is fistful of media together we are cast cthulhu on twitter um and on facebook we are cthulhu cast so uh don't mix those two things up or you will go to internet jail um yes. you can you can find the cast of cthulhu pretty much anywhere you can find your podcasts um and including on our new home on battleshipretention.com um, and uh, go directly to the source if you want that shit in your veins at castofcthulhu.podbean.com. Um, yeah, so this is uh, February, and this has been Cast a Deadly Spell. So for once, we do have a plan, but only through next yes. week. Um, yeah. <laughs> we, yeah. It's okay, though. Yeah, but, uh, but uh, next week, um, just I guess because it was also released in February, we're going to be covering Annihilation um, from um, 2018, written and directed by Alex Garland, because it's got kind of shades of color out of space in it, but is also not, and um, just um, a movie that James has never seen, um, yeah. I think, if I read. So this, uh, Gavin, did you see Annihilation? I did. I saw it in the theaters because it lined up when we did our Natalie Portman episode. Oh, so. nice. that is pretty perfect. It uh, it did not make my top ten of that year, but just barely. It was sort of like in the honorable mentions, but I did, um, which is good because it came out, as I said, in February, so very early in the year, um, and stuck yeah. around there um, in the running for a while, but... Um, I love when there's that that little you know something that sticks with you from from mm-hmm. the beginning of the year because there is such a negative connotation to coming out sort of pre May mm-hmm. for right. a lot of people and so yeah I love when something sticks to you and you're just like yeah that thing I really liked it and it maintained mm-hmm. so um, the earliest one I'd have to say is um, I think The Witch came out in January and that was still yes, in did. my top ten at the end of that year so that that's a um, a very I good... still can't believe that movie was a January release, and I'm not even a huge fan of it. But mm-hmm. like, January? like really, right. that's a January release, you know? But that's <laughs> once again the prejudice of things that come out before May. But like, mm-hmm. come on, what yeah. what was what were they doing? Come on, yeah. January, January's not shouldn't even be a month. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> 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 but yeah, um, 
so we will be covering Annihilation on our next episode. Um, Gavin, thanks again, once again, for joining yes. us on uh, Cast a Deadly Spell. Um, but in the meantime, we'll be waiting and dreaming with dead Cthulhu in his house in Relia. This program is a proud member of the Battleship Pretension Fleet. 